Welcome back to the Like a Bigfoot podcast. I'm your host, Chris Ward. This is episode number 219. Uh, today, we're going to sit down and talk with the University of Iowa's uh, Director of Olympic Strength and Conditioning, Bill Maxwell. Uh, Bill is responsible for strength and conditioning, uh, men's basketball, men's golf, women's golf. He also kind of oversees... Uh, basically every strength and conditioning program at the university uh, except football. Um, I'm super excited. One, I went to University of Iowa, so I am a Hawkeye. <laughs> Two, they're going to have a really good basketball team this year, so I was just super excited to geek out about that. Um, but mostly, when you think of strength and conditioning coaches obviously you have to understand the physiology the physical aspect of it how do you help athletes grow um you know in their physical abilities but i think the most important thing is really this understanding of how to be a good leader how to form a team how to uh unite you know all of your players because if you think about it Every single player, every single person that he interacts with has his own strengths, own weaknesses, um, you know, own motivation. You know, sometimes motivation levels are all at a different point within a team. And I always find it fascinating when you think about the principles and the people who have to bring all these people together and lead them in that singular direction. I always, I'm always like, wow, how do you do that? And I think part of that for me is, you know, when you talk about being a teacher, being a teacher, you're kind of doing, trying to do the same thing. You have all these people coming into you all at different levels of learning, all with different personal experiences. And somehow you have to reach this common goal. That That's the thing that you're trying to do. You're trying to make every single person successful by making the group successful. And it's really, really hard to do. In teaching, we call it differentiation. Um, and it's so hard to do. So I always find it fascinating to sit down and talk to people. And I know Bill, uh, you know, like I said, a lot of his job is understanding the physiology components. But I think he also has to dive in on these leadership principles. And so that's kind of what we talk about in this episode. Um, we recorded it probably a month and a half ago. And then like the weekend after we recorded, Bill came out to Colorado and climbed 14ers, which was awesome. I was We geeked out or I geeked out, sorry, as I always do, uh, about 14ers with him after we recorded the podcast, which is awesome. But uh, but yeah, just a solid guy um, running a big time Division One strength and conditioning program. Like I said, for pretty much every sport except football. Um, so yeah, let's let's just dive right in, guys. Uh, oh, I also want to say huge thanks to Cameron Dorn. Cameron, when I was interviewing him a few months ago, he was like, "Hey, man, I know this guy." who's the uh, Iowa basketball strength and conditioning coach. Would you want to talk to him? I was like, heck yeah, dude, that sounds amazing. And uh, yeah, so huge thanks. Thank you, Cameron. You rock, dude. Um, Bill, thanks for coming on the show. Uh, let's dive right into it, guys. This is Like a Bigfoot podcast number 219 with Bill Maxwell. <laughs> 
All right, guys, this week I am, I'm super excited as a Hawkeye fan. First of all, I have to tell you, Bill, um, but, <laughs> but I'm also just excited as a fan of, you know, um, hearing about just environments of success, you know, um, which is, and leadership principles and things like that. But anyways, we're welcoming uh, Bill Maxwell to the podcast and Bill is the, the strength and conditioning coach for um, the University of Iowa basketball program amongst you, you were emailing me. You said at one point you had 10 programs under you. Yes. Um, 23 sports report to their strength conditioning activities report to me. Wow. Uh, so basically everything but football. So yeah. uh, as we go through it, and now I have a bigger staff. But in the early years, I've been here 23 years. So in the early years, uh, I didn't have that big a staff. And so – I wound up and some teams were starting to come on board and starting to do more training with, with us, uh, you know, like kind of like in the early years, sometimes the swim team would go and do their own thing. Uh, so as time grew on and teams started to come on board, you know, it's kind of like um, I, my services, you know, uh, increased the demand and then I didn't have enough to supply. So I wound up <laughs> doing training 10 teams myself and then I had two assistants who would have about six or seven teams themselves so yeah it was a a, a lot of work during that time that's a grind man yeah what what so now you have both basketball programs I'm assuming and and what else no I have men's basketball and okay. then I have both golf programs men's oh golf okay nice um so we try to set it up now where you kind of have, um, you know, there's some teams that have more um, demand from uh, a work standpoint. Uh, obviously, we, we invest a lot into our basketball programs. Uh, so uh, my assistant, uh, she has women's basketball, and she has women's gymnastics, and she has women's tennis. Uh, so she has three sports. I'll have three sports. Uh, my other staff members will probably have anywhere from three to four sports yeah no more than that and even then we try to like even out the workload on those sports um and try to fit it in that way so we can give a better service yeah yeah well it's interesting so i was thinking about what you what you do and correct me if i'm wrong here but i was like well it kind of breaks down to like three different things that you have to be aware of you have to do like program design which is all like the prep work basically and the research and all that stuff and then you also probably have to be a presence at the workouts so that's kind of like individual one-on-one -on -one athlete development um but then you also need to figure out a way to create uh an environment that's going to push athletes but at the same time allow them to be successful and you know like part of it is probably making them enjoy the workout portion of it, you know, versus just in, j enjoying the sport. But yes. is there any other kind of like aspects that I'm missing there? I, you know, I think you hit the big parts. Um, I think the world, the world has changed so much from the time when I grew up. Uh, and, and as I went to school, it's like, you did it because the coach said, do it. Like, yeah. <laughs> you, know, like you know, and if you didn't do it, uh, I, I would have to answer to my father. Uh, or mother when I got home, and that was definitely worse than what I would have to do if I didn't answer. <laughs> so, um, 
you know, a different culture back then. Um, you know, you, you the the internet didn't exist. Um, you know, they were, you know, just experimenting and bringing in computers when I was in high school. Uh, so, <clears throat> to get to that point, um, uh, it, it was good, and it's it's good the evolution of of exposure to knowledge. Uh, but with that, there has to be a certain amount of accountability of developing your own filter for that information because not all information is we we start to recognize is good yeah uh, <laughs> and, and being able to recognize the good info is such a huge skill to have right now oh it is a tremendous skill set and uh so going on that uh i've had to adapt through the years on that process and, you know, in my early years, yeah, I, I said, do it. And, you know, the athletes, you know, they would, you know, resist. And I would basically try to break them till they did do it. Um, so uh, we would, you know, it, it was a much different phase then. Uh, then on the Olympic sports side, it's much different because I spent my first seven years at Kansas. And at Kansas, uh, we had all sports were under one roof. So we had the football program, the men's basketball, women's basketball, tennis, swimming, diving. Everyone was under one roof, <clears throat> and we all did it that way. And yeah. kind of in the mid-'90s, there was a shift from uh, to separate football because it was such a big beast. And it was very hard for me. Like my years at Kansas, uh, like I was in charge of like the Olympic sports and making sure that those teams got trained, but I also had to work football. And so, like, so during football, when they would be in season, you'd think, like, okay, I'm not working as much, but then all my Olympic sports would be training a lot. Yeah. You get to the next day. So, um, and then you get to summertime, and then football's going hard. So, like, I never got a breather when I was at, <laughs> at Kansas. Yeah. Um, and that was one of my, you know, one of the things. But plus, I wanted to run my own ship. So, when I came here to Iowa, I took over the Olympic sports and was able to do that and trying to learn it was a different work culture here because Iowa had been separated for a long time. Okay. They, they had football was separate in it and it was a different culture and it yeah. took me a long time to adjust to it. Um, and, you know, I came in like a bull in a China shop um, and that wasn't probably the best, um, you know, best working solution. And through the years, uh, I've learned to try to meet people and ask better questions What and present things as more of like use uh, the word one, one who is trying to uh, attain greatness will find a way versus yeah. saying you need to. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, I'm going to steal great, that as a parent. Just to yeah. tell you. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> well, I was going to ask, like, I just know I'm, I'm also a, a teacher. So I've been, man, and learning how to teach is learning how to deal with people. And there are moments when I reflect back on where it's just cringeworthy. And I'm like, what in the hell was I thinking? Like, why? why did I do that or ask that or try to think that was a good lesson? So I was curious, like, have you had, and you were kind of were speaking on it anyways, but just moments of failure 
where it helped you grow because you know ultimately that's what what failures teach us is how to be better um do you have any like specific moments uh, that you can think back on oh certainly um you know like i i you know you talk about being a teacher my my background is physical education okay uh so i did my student teaching and i swore that i would never teach uh, <laughs> when i finished that uh I, what I grade was, uh, I had ninth grade. Uh, That's tough grade. My first unit for health was sex education. <laughs> so here I am at uh, 20, 21, 22 years old, going in to teach ninth graders sex education. Um, yeah, that was very. Uh, Dude, they uh, just like, threw like, you to the wolves. They're like, yeah, hey, just good threw luck. Me to the wolves. <laughs> like, here, go learn it. Like, this is how you learn. Yeah. It's actually yeah. doing. Uh, I got, you know, I learned uh, through that process of doing those things, but uh, I learned a lot about myself and I said, I can't do this. And then it just so happened that I wound up getting lucky and get a graduate assistantship at Kansas. And then that graduate assistantship turned into an assistant position. And then I came here and I became a head strength coach, you know, at, you know, at the age of 29. So at 29, I'm the head strength coach here. And things are, you know, going pretty well. And I actually am about 10 years in, you know, but that was me, you know, running like a bull through a China shop. And I wound up, <clears throat> actually, I was demoted. So um, I lost my position. I was fortunate that I had a one-year contract and the year had just rolled over. Yeah. So um, I'm sitting around, you know, and I'm angry, I'm bitter, uh, you know, and I, I, I I do that for about six months, you know, because I felt like I'd poured my heart and soul into the, the place that people should like me just because I've done that. And the reality is, no, that's not the case. You still need to help serve the people. You need to be a better servant. You need to, you need to ask more. You need to provide things just because you think it's what they need. Maybe that's not what they need. Yeah. Um, and you got to meet them on a level playing level playing. And so I, I, I was like that as an assistant for four years. And then at the end of the, you know, those four years were over, they elevated me back to full-time, you know, to the full-time director. And I've been back in that role since 2011. So that's been 12 years and, and everything's just kept growing. I'm getting more assistance. I'm getting more resources. Uh, we've expanded our department to be a more of an exercise science department mm. uh, to to utilize exercise science in our uh, in our process too. But a lot of that was me going back and saying, "What what part did I have in this?" And I kept asking myself that in every exchange that I had with people, "What part did I have in that? How did I make people feel, or how, why was it that they couldn't bring this information to me?" Yeah. I needed to be more open and receiving of people or give that like I'm I'm an open person versus a wall. Yeah. How much of a like ego battle is that where you've been demoted but you're going to stay at the same spot for 4 years? It, it it was it was huge. Yeah. It was huge. Uh but my father always taught me he's like, "Hey, you if someone's paying you to to work, you do the best job you possibly can and give them some more. Yeah. Um, and, and so I did. And, and I, what I did was I focused on 
trying to better myself in any way possible and then uh, trying to help serve my people better, uh, whatever that was. So it was kind of good because the swimming team was very, you know, uh, thankful. They were like, hey, great. Like, you can come over here and help work with us more. And so yeah. I did. So I took all my energy, poured it into, the, you know, the swimming team and my the rowing team. And uh, and it was great. And we had uh, – and it was – we had a big turnaround in swimming. Um, we were working out in the old field house, which was 1926 field house. I, I built a weight room and a locker – and a uh, racquetball court. Yeah. And, and then I had another room that was up on the loft of those racquetball court. And I'm telling you, they were each about, you know, whatever a racquetball court is, you know. Yeah. 40, <laughs> that square footage and the one up on the loft was smaller. And I would be running back and forth, coaching teams in between. And we just found a way. We just found a way to do it. Uh, and we turned around and we, we built a culture for the team, for that swim team. And yeah. That's, you know, it set our swim team on a different trajectory. That's so cool. Yeah. And there's something about just making do with what you have at the time that can bring a team together. Um, I went to Wartburg for a year to, to play football uh, right out of high school and stuff. And I just remember at a certain point, they, they built this new fancy facility. But when I was there, they tore down the old facility. And so there was like six months where, the weight room was literally a house off campus they bought and they turned it into a weight room and it was just nuts. Like you're inside of a tiny house trying to like do squats and stuff. And it was, it was crazy. Yeah. Hey, necessity is the mother of all invention, right? <laughs> that's true. Yeah, that's <laughs> totally true. Well, that's awesome. So now that you are, um, you get a little more focus, you know, are you, are you finding that, I mean, obviously it'd probably be a bit easier, but are you finding that you can kind of like dive in a little bit deeper on what specifically makes like a basketball team strength and conditioning program successful and, and stuff like that? I, when I took back over, you know, in 2011, becoming director again, um, one of the key elements I realized is like, it's about the people. And I used to always hire myself. Like I always hired a, someone that was like very stubborn, very hardworking. And, yeah. would, and then I, I would wonder why I would have disagreements with that person. I was like, God, you're just arguing with yourself. <laughs> so, um, so I, I started to learn, it's like, okay, I need different thought. I, did, I need people to challenge my thought processes. And I started to do that. And so hiring quality people that fit your team or fit the role that you need is is vital yeah and so when now uh, when i have turnover i'm so focused on the hiring process of making sure i get the right people that would fit our organization and um so right now my staff we have it well i had an assistant leave uh because of his you know he had a better situation with his family but uh, other than that, my staff's been solid pretty much for the last four to five years. Yeah. Uh, I've had some people who've been on my staff for, you know, um, eight, eight, nine years. Um, so 
Um, you know, and these are high quality people, but they want to stay here because of the culture of what we've built. So the, the culture is huge in that process. So as we try to work towards getting that, and we try to extend that out to our services that we provide to other teams and to other sport coaches and trying to do that really well. Uh, and then trying to work kind of like organic. If you, if you get people in the, the right realm of where they trust and they're like, they feel like, okay, we can challenge you because now they'll challenge my thought process. Yeah. Like if I'm not, so like maybe I'm not bringing up, uh, say, racial diversity or having discussions about that. They'll just, they'll be in a staff meeting. They'll just like, hey, coach, we want to talk about this. Yeah. Okay, let's go. Yeah. And then I'll have something valuable to say. But as they go on, and then I'll hear some great things from them. So I've kind of hired people that are, you know, in charge that can be strong leaders. Um, but doing that, even within the team and building team leaders, yeah, and trying to create it so that it takes over itself. Because if you have to manage it all the time, it, it will fail. It yeah. will fail. You have to have great people in your organization or within your team that can operate when when your leader is not there, that they step into the leadership role. Yeah. And whether that's being a, you know, sometimes their, their job is to be the best follower. Sometimes their job is to step up to be the best leader in this, this situation. Yeah. Um, and that's one of the things that I've learned, um, you know, through just watching different leadership models and a lot of that, which I'll, maybe discuss a little bit later was evaluating um, like having people be more present and how do we achieve that? Because so much today is about falling through life. And that's why, like, I love where we were talking about our friend Cameron Dorn. That's why I love it because he's not falling through life. He's like, I'm going to seize every moment of life. I'm going to enjoy this. I'm going to appreciate this moment in, 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 in time and space, the people that are around me, and I'm going to create that energy field out there that is there. And so when I'm talking to my group, that was one of the things that I kind of came about through probably the past year and a half was I don't care what's happening in my life at the time of our session. When I have a session with our team, I am going to bring energy. I'm going to talk it up. I'm going to whoop it up. And not like like craziness like you see for strength coaches. I, I hate this. I, I'm Inauthentic. Just, yeah, I'm trying, yeah. trying to be authentic with them. Yeah. And, I, and that's what I want them to do. And, and people can sense that too. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's not a show. It's not I – don't, I don't like – you know, like I'll jump up and give them a chest bump on occasion, but <laughs> it's, it's not about me. It's definitely not about me. Yeah. It's about, hey, I, but I do it every day, all the time when I'm with them. And uh, I try to do that with, you know, with my staff. You know, I try to be like, hey, and if not, I, I warn them, like if there's a day when I'm down and I got to vent, I just say, hey, guys, I need five minutes to vent. Yeah. And I acknowledge it and I say, I need this from you. 
and then they they will they will like hey coach great you know like thanks for sharing yeah and then boom then i'll be like all right boom on like let's go dude that um i mean i think one just with the age group of people you're working with you know the athletes that you have the focus and the attention and the presence is so important but you can't just talk about it like if you weren't showing that then the lesson's going to go in one year and out the other but people remember how you how you are like how you show up to be and i just i think that's huge um did you watch did you watch the jordan documentary yet uh i've watched parts of it um okay. you know so and i have a little a, a little bit more of the background behind some of it because yeah. um my one of my mentors al vermeil it was the strength conditioning coach there uh with the bulls during all those wow. years that's so, nuts, man. So I have a little bit of the background, you know, yeah. story behind the story. Um, but, you know, it's uh, – I, and I know that Jordan worked with Grover, uh, which we, we – we, you, know, you know, and Coach Vermeil will tell you for sure, like, yeah, that we, we knew that. Like, it says, but the most important thing is to have the team, you know, prepared and ready to go. And yeah. he was prepared and ready to go, so that's what mattered. Yeah. Well, in the last, in the very last one, which I just finished it yesterday. So it's like fresh on my mind. And also like I was a kid throughout all of the nineties, like obviously you knew of Michael Jordan, but I wasn't a sports fan yet. So now from watching it as like from a sports fan perspective and just being like, and, and as someone who was terrible at basketball, like me, I was just like, Whoa, how is he doing this stuff? But the very last episode, it talks about what you just mentioned, like that presence, like when he was playing, he was playing when he was not playing. He was, you know, he, he didn't have his mind on it. He was just completely in the moment, you know, as much as, as he could be. And I just think that's, it's a skill that's really hard to teach, but is really important, especially if you want to be successful. Yeah. And I've found that we have some athletes that come in and they just have that competitive drive that is like nonstop. Uh, yeah. You know, right now, Luca Garza is yeah. uh, on our team. He was uh, national player of the year this past year uh, for different publications. Um, and he was big 10 player of the year unanimous. Uh, and the thing about him is uh, he comes to work every day, like every day. I mean, I get texts from him frequently, like on it. We've already had five, 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 you know, workouts during the week. We've had, you know, a morning lift, afternoon yeah. <laughs> basketball practice or whatever. And I get in a text on him on Saturday mornings, like, hey, coach, can I come over and do, uh, do more lifting, you know? So, um, I mean, that's the way his motor goes. He's a nonstop motor and he does everything at the highest level, which, you know, as a survival instinct, we're taught to be efficient and try to trim down the motor and keep it a little bit like that so we can conserve some energy. This guy does not do that. His motor is 100% all out all the time. Yeah. And that's why he is able to achieve so much uh, regardless. I mean, in Big Ten play, he averaged 26 points per game. Like, yeah. That's against the Big Ten. Like, every day we're – like the last place team could beat the first place team. 
Oh, like, this especially this last year. The yeah. last year, the Big Ten was just insane. That was, yeah. yeah. So this guy's averaging 26 a game. Like everyone knows he's good. Like that you stop <laughs> trying to stop this guy. Like yeah, he still gets it. And uh, and he's a. Those are some of the things. But everyone needs to. I. It's tough because you have to learn to appreciate each one for their individual things and what they bring to the table. Yeah. And then you try to, you try to, you know, try to encourage that, build their strengths. And then, then just try to minimize the, their weaknesses. I, I don't necessarily focus on our athletes weaknesses as much as I do is try to, to enhance their strengths as much as possible and just try to minimize their exposure to their weaknesses. Yeah. Well, and it's also interesting to think about what you do because, you know, you, you get them during the grinded out part of the year and, and part of the week, you know, like they're coming to you to, to strengthen condition and it's, there's no one cheering. It's not like the crowds are there. Um, and I'm sure it just shows you a lot of like, which like, which players are fully committed and any sport really. Cause I mean, you know, the weight room time is, is the tough time. That's where you put in all that foundational work. That's it's difficult to get excited for every single day. Um, and I was curious, like when you, uh, when you've had like elite players, what, or just even like elite leaders in the, in the weight room, like what do you see them do differently? You know? The elite uh, leaders, you know, they know exactly what's coming up next. They execute it every day, regardless of how they feel. Yeah. They will step up and, and, and just achieve um, that, whether that achievement is, um, I'm going to get through this workout and, uh, you know, pull my teammate through this workout. Yeah. Um, whatever that course may be, but it's making sure that we're doing the things that we're supposed to be doing at the moment we're supposed to be doing them and doing them at a high level. And those guys, they're just, you know, they're just on, they're mentally on, you know, and that's like one of the things that I've talked about. Um, you know, I know I mentioned Luca Garza, but I mean, and he's been here for three years. I've been here. I've been here within three, four years. Um, and hopefully we'll find out Sunday if we're going to be here a fourth year. So that's uh, – and I'm certainly hoping for that. So I was, I was telling my dad I was going to interview you. He's like, so, you know, if you could find out uh, – and I was like, no, man, I'm not going to ask him that. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. He, he's, holding, he's keeping it uh, to himself. No, yeah. you know, no one knows. But I'm certainly hope, uh, you know, hoping in that I do get more exposure <laughs> with him yeah. uh, this, uh, next year. But, but like, for example – you know, and I'm, I'm there at practice. I'm there at all our conditioning. I'm there at all, our, all of our workouts. And he's only had two down days in, in all those years. I mean, three years. Yeah. Like two down days where I said, hey, Luca, man, you, you look like, you know, one of those days was he had stayed up studying for an exam. Uh, and it was that. And another day he was sick. Yeah. Other than that. And we go summertime too. Now we're in, we, we do eight weeks in the summer. Yeah. So they're with me like a lot of the weeks of the year, like, you know, 40, 44, 46 weeks. Uh, I'm around them. Uh, so, and I've, I've only seen him have two bad days 
and and they weren't even like to the average person you say that's he's he's having an okay day i mean (laughs) yeah there are still pretty good days and and that's the difference of what the like the super high achievers and super high leaders uh they are they just find a way to be on and that's that's what they do yeah do you do you see so i mean even throughout any sport that you've had in the past are you seeing these common traits throughout with the like the leaders on the team oh yeah it's it's completely as i reflect back to you know in in 1993 i was working with uh kansas baseball and they were you know they made it to the college world series um you know our catcher on that team was a leader and he just willed people through to get things done you know and um and we were not a baseball powerhouse definitely not um but we went through the big eight, you know, the big eight. Uh, we were second place to Oklahoma State, who also went to the College World Series. Uh, we played Wichita State that year, beat them twice. They also made the College World Series. So, you know, three of the Midwest teams were in the College World Series. And, uh, but this gentleman, like, he, you know, Jeff Niemeyer, he is just one of those guys that would always, like, he always knew what needed to be done. Always for everyone. He just knew it. And so, um, and he would, he would will people to do it. He just, he just had that, you know, that, you know, character about him. But the thing about it was he always did it every workout. He never had a bad workout. Yeah. He always was there. Well, and you have the, the teammates who do that and the other teammates see that happening and see how hard they're working. And it's, it's kind of like this snowballing effect of like, I don't want to let this other person down. Oh yeah, certainly. Yeah. And, and, it, and it's the truth. And, uh, but even in it's harder today in today's world, because athletes and student, you know, in, in um, this age category has so many outlets like I will, I can go get my significance by going on Twitter, or going on Twitter, or going into Instagram. I can get my significance in other ways than getting uh, my acceptance by my teammates by working hard. Yeah. So yeah. it's a much more difficult world to motivate people and understand that. And uh, I think that's probably one of the things that I've gotten better at is trying to understand that is what triggers someone what's what are they looking for from significance like how do they want to be noticed do they want the camera on them do they want um do they just want to be get a uh do they want to get a reward by being come in for taking a charge you know something that you know or getting a defensive stop or you know um maybe they're the guy that just wants to make the buzzer beater you know, hopefully we don't have those, but you know, sometimes that occurs. Yeah. And, and, and there's a place for those people on the team. You just have to make sure that, that that's not the predominance. Yeah. Well, how do you, so how do you figure out, like, do you have a process to figure out what motivates your athletes the best? Or do you, you know, sit down and, and have conversations with them? Or is it mostly based off of like observations that you do? Huge part of his observations and just watching behaviors. You know, you, you just look at them and when do they light up 
or when are they more talkative? When are they, when are they smiling more? What just occurred? Um, and also my interactions with them or a coach's interaction. I just, I just observe and there's nothing wrong or right about those different things. It just is what triggers them. And that's because of their collection of all their experiences prior to that. Maybe they didn't have the choice of who those experiences were. They didn't get to choose who their coach was. And maybe their coach was a, a person who just focused on just a defensive guy or just the, the person who wanted the, the hot dog and didn't care about the rest of it, you know? Um, that's okay. The thing is, is to try to, you know, meet them where they're at and then try to assimilate them into the group towards our common goal and where that is. Yeah. And um, so some of the guys that motivate much differently, some of the guys, you know, some of the guys all, you know, like maybe jump on in front of the group. Some of the guys uh, may just praise them in a team text. Um, Some of the guys, um, uh, I may have to pull them aside and say one-on-one. Yeah. Um, and, but the thing is, is that I always have to be consistent with my standard of presence. Yeah. As I talked about earlier, like when I'm with them in that moment, and I have to make sure that I have these engagements with them frequently. I mean, I think that's the true art of coaching. Not so much about like, yeah, you can't go off the deep end and do crazy workouts that would push them over the edge. But also that's about teaching awareness and you being aware of, of where they're at in this time and space. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And I was thinking like for teaching, you know, that comes into play as well. Like there are some kids who really want you to like joke with them in front of the class and, and all that and have that repertoire. And then some kids, you know, if you tried to joke with them, they're going to instantly be horrified. Like, Oh, all the attentions on me, like, Oh no. And, and you have to kind of figure out, you know, those aspects. And it's, it's funny, like talking about it because a lot of times it's just intuition and from experience of working with people, you kind of figure that out. Yes. Yeah. So, and I think, I think the, the big thing that taught me was, uh, you know, two years ago, I, I went to a Tony Robbins event, uh, and, you know, it's four days, very intense. I mean, it goes from like 10 or 11 in the morning till midnight or one in, in, in midnight or one the next morning. And you wake up, you turn around, you do it again for four straight days. And it's called Unleash the Power Within. Um, so it tells you a lot about, you know, and, and people will gather these things from different, you know, different groupings or you know yeah. and i've read them from different from different uh writer authors but it was great to experience that and then i went to another event the following year called date with destiny so unleash the power within it's like uh, a mile wide and inch deep so it's like it throws everything at the chalkboard then when you go to uh, date with destiny it's kind of like a mile deep and an inch wide and it really focuses on like learning um, what triggers people, what, what, what are their, you know, what's their, you know, what makes them up? Yeah. Um, and, you know, the greatest thing that I got from the date with destiny to, is to be more compassionate. 
and um, it, it's a difficult thing, you know, it's like, so having an appreciation for a person, like just, that's a human there. Like, you know, like when I go by a homeless person, I don't, I don't say like, oh God, I wish that, you know, they, they were cleaned up and out of the street or something like that. It's like, sometimes I go by and I was like, you know, hey, you know, I, I wonder what their dreams are. I, I, you know, I wonder what happened to that person to be in this state. Yeah. And I think if people could just like have a little bit more compassion and, and try to practice that in the moment, not necessarily when it fits our schedule. Yeah. And so that's one of the reasons why, you know, I put a brace and I put it on there. I said, you know, compassion, you know, so, so it's kind of a reminder to me to make sure that I have compassion and I put on their courage. Like courage is for me to step up. You know, that's what I want to do. Um, which is kind of funny since Cameron's, you know, philosophy is suitcase of courage. His company. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So <laughs> it's kind of a, you know, it, it's a, it's, it's a big thing for but it's also like, how can I be show some vulnerability and still be authentic, you know? Yeah. And uh, try to do that with like, you know, all encounters. So, um, you know, but there's going to come a time when you need such as we call it a red personality when like, Hey, dangers around, like you need someone to step up and take, you know, take, take charge. It's like, Hey, you're over here. You're over here. We need yeah. this. You do this. I do this. Boom. Yeah. And, and those are different moments. Yeah. Well, what you mentioned, Tony Robbins, what other kind of uh, either courses or books or whatever. Sorry, I just realized I was muted. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of the courses or books that I've, you know, done. Yeah. So, you know, mentioning Tony Robbins, what other kind of courses or books do you draw your inspiration or, or your philosophies or even just like little nuggets of wisdom? Um, you know, I, 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 some of the best books I've read were um, Atomic Habits. Okay. Uh, excellent book. You know, um, then I uh, I've also studied a lot of we had the program is a leadership program. Uh, it's taught by former um, Army Rangers. And this gentleman, he does it for many athletic programs and a lot, and a lot of our, a lot of our teams have done the program where, and it's, it's an exceptional thing. It's, you know, it's teaching leadership, it's teaching how to be a follower. And a lot of those principles fall along, uh, um, you know, of, of being a person within the community, but yet still maintaining your individual. Yeah. And uh, so I'd, you know, I'd say some of those things are, you know, like the, the biggest ones. Uh, I mean, I mean, I've, I've drawn from Caesar Milan, uh, the dog whisperer and watching how, you know, and understanding like, okay, it's a pack, you know, yeah. how, do, who's the alpha dog? How does that operate? How do you, how do you manage that? Um, yeah. uh, you know, and that, and that might be from a, a time of where you're in a group and you need like control. Um, but you know, I've, I've done that. I've, you know, focused on Joel Osteen at times uh, about having a, you know, a life of expectancy. Um, but I don't discount anything. I try to filter, I try to filter the good. Yeah. It, 
every lesson might provide me. And one of the best things my, my first boss, Fred Roll, he taught me was every experience will teach you something. It'll either teach you how you want to do something or it'll teach you how you don't want to do something. That's he, true. Said, so, he said, so watch me closely. And when you <laughs> take notes and if you like it, then you got it. But when you become a boss and you get the chance to do something or know that you don't ever want to do this. And I'm going to provide plenty of examples of both for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that's a good uh, mindset and a good way to go about any situation, because if you are truly looking at a situation from that perspective, it's like no situation is going to be completely 100% horrible because you are like, okay, well, at least I was able to take away this and this and this, you know? Yeah. And, and it's true. Uh, I even co- catch myself practicing it, you know, like when I'm out on the road, like, oh, I missed that red light. Uh, the person in front of me, you know, just like zoom past me and yeah. just, you know, cut me off. And like, and I started to get angry. And then I was like, wait a minute. I was like, I don't know. That person might be late to pick up their child from daycare. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, so, and, and that's where I try to practice compassion in those situations also and trying to ask the next question versus like categorizing people so quickly. True. I try to, you know, uh, and I know we do that from a, a survival instinct and an efficiency instinct uh, because we want to uh, put, put people in boxes. We yeah. want to label them so that we can like make the, you know, mind work more efficiently. But the truth is we can't do that if we want to look at humanity. That's and, true. And, yeah. and also being able to challenge that categorization or whatever um, yes. is, is huge to even just, you know, have that ability to, to question yourself and your own, you know, like deal like whenever you have a whenever you're doing that if you're able to catch yourself in that moment you're like oh yeah now i gotta look at the actual humanity here yes which is exactly. awesome and yeah. you never know because we know the human potential is so exponential like it's so large and it just depends on whether someone's operating near their maximum capacity if they are then that shifts them up so many more levels yeah and then you have some people with great capacity that are, are, are operating at 10% efficiency of their capacity. Yeah. You know? So what, that's why you can't like, you, you can't put labels on people. You have to like uh, evaluate them and look at them, you know, for what they bring to this group and what they bring to your organization or what they bring to this, just this moment in this exchange between say you and I, or this exchange between you and the cashier at the, uh, you know, at the grocery store, yeah. you know, how can you bring out some good energy and, and so that it, you know, expands out, not only ripples out to that person and that person with the next person in line yeah. and, and hopefully we'll make it, you know, we'll make everything better that way. Yeah, man. Yeah, I 100% agree. And that was like when I started the podcast a long time ago, the whole point of it was to spread goodness and and hopefully affect people in a positive way, um, whether through like inspiration or 
or just hearing people and their stories like you or your leadership principles. Like, I think that's, that really, really is cool. And like eye opening for sure. Um, I gotta ask you about Joe Wieskamp cause I'm from okay. Muscatine. Uh, dude, let me just paint the picture. Cause I understand not everybody's Iowa basketball fan, but, um, I think it was last, yeah, last winter, there was a couple games in a row that came down to the buzzer. And we watched the first one, and I think it was Bohannon uh, making that three at the end, and it was nuts. And then I turned to my wife, I'm like, we're going to watch the next one, obviously. Like, great team, you know? And so, anyways, we, uh, we're watching it, and they're playing Rutgers. Uh, and it comes down to the buzzer again. And we're like, really? Two times, two games in a row? This is nuts. And it's the cr- one of the craziest sports plays I've seen, like, live, you know? Like, I wasn't there, but I was watching it at the moment. And he throws up the shot. And it's this kid from my hometown, which is why we were extra geeking out about it. But he throws up the shot, and it hits off the top of the backboard, basically and goes in and it was from being from muscatine iowa i was like this has to be the greatest muscatine iowa sports moment of all time (laughs) no uh that moment was tremendous i mean um you know Rutgers. Rutgers is you know they have a new coach well i say he's probably in his third finished his third year second or third year and they're building their program and they're getting much better uh very tough team a very tough-minded, oriented team, physical, and so we had uh, we had we had the lead, and uh, they they go down to the other end, and you know we got it set up. We actually guard the we actually guard their play really well, and the guy just hits. He pulls up from three point. We got pressure on him. Ball hits the front of the rim, hits the backboard, hits the front of the rim, and falls in. <laughs> we we're like, oh my god, like this is like incredible. So we call a timeout um, or there's a timeout and we set it up and we have this play in our playbook and it's, it's never worked. Okay. And we tried this same play for the next in practice multiple, multiple times. And we never, we never got it right. Never. So, you know, we have Connor, who's a baseball, Connor McCaffrey's a baseball player, coach McCaffrey's son. He's a baseball player on our baseball team. So he, He's setting up, and, you know, for some reason they didn't guard him, so he throws a long pass down to the free throw line, much like the Christian Leitner play, you know. But the difference is we have it set up to toss it, you know, to a different player. Yeah. So the thing kind of goes awry. Uh, Nicholas Bear just gets a hand on it. Yeah. And just kind of gets it going towards the corner. It's right in front of me, where, and I'm sitting there like, oh, my God. Joe – Catches the ball, Joe Wieskamp from Muscatine, Iowa, <laughs> pride of the community. Gets a, and he's go, falling towards the corner. He throws the ball up. And he's actually, as I'm looking at, he's behind the backboard. Like, we're yeah. looking straight on yeah. at the side of the backboard. He's behind it. And somehow he kisses it off the very top corner and swish. And we go nuts. So, um, it's probably the most one of the most improbable plays I've ever seen. It definitely was. in person. Definitely yeah. in person. No doubt. Oh yeah, man. It, no, no doubt. It set off one of my favorite moments ever with my group of friends. 
because we just started a group text. And this is like, it's so funny even talking about this because I'm like, it doesn't matter to anybody, but my wife saw the joy that it brought me because for the next four hours that night, we just kept texting each other, Wee's camp, and then the greater than sign. And then we'd mention something in Muscatine. So we're like, yes. Wee's camp, better than uh, the watermelon stampede. And it was like, Wee's camp, greater than Dave Baki, who was like some guy that came to our elementary school. And yeah. I don't know, it just, it was four hours worth of just pure joy that it brought us. So it was a, gr- it was a great plane ride home. I can tell you that. It was a <laughs> great bet. plane ride home. I bet. Well, Bill, thank you so much for coming on the show. Like, I really appreciate it. Um, I know I got a lot of really great takeaways. Um, I teach a leadership class uh, to my middle school kids. So um, definitely a lot of really good things in there that I'm, I'm going to bring to them. So, so thank you and best of luck for the next year and, and you know, all the craziness that's probably going to Probably you know, what? we're still holding out for uh, a year. Uh, maybe no fans. Um, we'll see. If it's not, then I, I, you know, at least we can televise. Yeah. So, uh, every day I get to come to work, I, I, I'm, I, I'm so grateful and have so much gratitude, you know, and uh, to be able to train the guys is, you know, you never knew when you were shut down for two or three months, like what that daily interaction was. Yeah. Um, and I, I'm so thankful every time I get to have them now. Now they get to see like even a more energetic. Yeah. <laughs> <guy>. <laughs> yeah, man. I, sure. I, had to I understand. Miss, I had to miss a workout. So my assistant had to cover them and, and, and they, she goes, man, they're, they just kept waiting for me to start hollering. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, Bill, thank you so much, man. I really appreciate it chatting. So go Hawks. Go Hawks. <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, that wraps up this week's episode. Uh, huge thanks to Bill. Best of luck in the season. I know, obviously, 2020, any sports season is going to be a bit wild, a bit of a roller coaster. Um, but I do think that when you are a great leader, you are willing and able and ready to ride those waves, to face those uh, moments of adversity with your team and the really great people, the people that come out of these hard times with more success are the people who are able to handle that. You know, they're able to take on any challenge that's thrown their way. Um, And, you know, after talking with Bill and just from what I know about um, the University of Iowa basketball team and what I'm hoping for this year is that they're really able to, you know, use these tough, challenging times to just become a better team, which is awesome. So anyways, thanks, Bill. Thanks for coming on the show, man. I really appreciate it. Best of luck this season. Um, Thank you guys for listening. Uh, It's been quite a crazy couple weeks for me. I did the Boonville Backroads Ultra, the 100K, a few weeks ago. And then this last weekend, I went out to one of my favorite places on Earth, Eagle, Colorado, uh, and I participated in Gemini Adventures Mountain Rats, which I try to do almost every year in some form or fashion. The first year I ran it, uh, ran the 50K. The second year I volunteered at one of the aid stations, which was super fun. I've never done that before. That was awesome. Last year I was supposed to do the marathon and then we couldn't make it up there because of a rock slide. And then this year 
they did the mountain bike race for the very first time. So it followed the same 50K route as the run, which is gorgeous, mind-blowing, difficult, <laughs> definitely challenging, and insanely hilly. Um, but I've never done a mountain bike race. And I've always wanted to bike up there. And I just kind of felt like, well, we're go we were going up there anyways for my wife's stepbrother's family. We're just getting all the, the kids together, the cousins together. And I was like, well, we're going up there anyways. I might as well try this. I've always wanted to bike there. And, you know, I went into it knowing like, hey, this is going to be a learning experience. You're probably not going to do great. And spoiler alert, if you would have seen me going down the hills, it was not good form. Let's just say that. If you're like a mountain biker, like a really good mountain biker, if you saw my form going down these like insanely steep hills through the woods, like single track through the woods with trees, getting hit with branches. It's just pure chaos, man. And, but I made it down and really that was it. And, you know, by the end of a 31 mile race, there are things you're starting to figure out. And then the next time you go and try it again, you're going to figure out a little more. And then the next time a little more and more. And then soon you're thinking back on your very first race or your very first time really trying to mountain bike some legit stuff. And I'm sure you look back on it with those eyes of like, oh, I was so young and naive and I, I've learned so much, you know, but I guess my point being is you don't get the chance or the opportunity to look back with those, those eyes until you actually put yourself out there until you're willing to take the bumps and bruises that are come along the way of actually learning something new. Um, and so I hope you guys are doing that, whatever it is. I hope you're out there and I hope you're putting yourself out there and you're willing to really go for it in service of a goal you may have or something you've always wanted to do. You know, um, you're not going to do it perfect the first time. You're not, it's not going to be pretty. You'll probably come out of it with some cuts and scrapes and, and, but you also come out with, of it with some lessons learned and that's the beauty of it. That's the beauty of all of this. So, um, yeah. We'll wrap it there. Uh, we'll get back at you guys next week. We have an amazing ultra runner on, uh, Alyssa Clark. She's magnificent, and I'm very excited to share that episode with you. She ran, get this, she ran 95 straight days of marathons. In the midst of it, she moved across the world in the middle of a pandemic. The story's wild. The story's crazy. Alyssa is a complete badass. So I'm super excited to share that episode with you guys. So come back next week. And yeah, have a good week, guys.